think when you're young, you're ambitious, you want the money, you want the position, you want the title, and your leap to these big jumps in your career, in my opinion, often leads you to a path where when there's time for change, it's typically downward. Or if you aren't as successful as you thought you would be, it's a much more difficult rebound. But if you just take a slow and steady approach and you're learning as you go and you're making you know, sizable moves, but they're achievable and they're sustainable and you've got a rhythm to it, I think you'll find yourself you know, reaching the peak and climbing to the top. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I've been waiting for this one. I've got Jeffrey Klein, Chief Operating Officer of Williams Island with us today. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Uh, super excited to be here. And uh, you were waiting for me. And uh, I got to be honest, I was starting to get a little nervous that you weren't going to call me. So <laughs> I'm super excited that uh, I get an opportunity to chat on the show. And uh, most important, catch up with you. It's been a long time. Yeah. And for listeners, we'll, we'll get into this part. But Jeff actually convinced me to get into food and beverage. So we'll, we'll touch on that part when we hit your career there. But let's get started how we always do, Jeff. What was your first job in hospitality? Great question. So my very first job, I was the uh, attendant at the hot dog stand <laughs> at the BJ's in Edison, New Jersey. So, you know, BJ's had just opened. Every family go, start, was starting to go to these bulk buying centers. And I would go with my parents and I would see the hot dog stand. And one day my parents were checking out and I think I was 16. So I had just turned 16 and uh, we're getting ready to walk out to the car. And I said, hey, guys, I just got a job. And they're like, a job? Said, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to work on the hot dog cart. And all that we sold on the hot dog cart was hot dogs, pretzels, fountain soda, and water. And I thought I had hit the jackpot because what I had witnessed at BJ's was an organization that had a tremendous culture. There was a lot of camaraderie. They had basketball leagues and teams and a lot of things happening. Uh, and I had a friend that worked there. He was a 
a checker. So he would put things in the boxes. Uh, and I was like, wait, first job. Amazing. Like super excited. That's awesome. So at the BJ's, you're the hot dog artist in there. All right. I can see young Jeff. Super hustling. easy. Steam them, put them on a bun, wrap them in that pre-cut tinfoil, stick them in the bag and ask if they wanted the combo. Love it. And so it you're amazing. doing that in high school. You're making some, some change. Is that really what kind of like stuck in your head? Like I like doing this. Is that? No, you, to, be you... honest, to be honest with you is it was a job. Uh, it was a little bit inconvenient. You know, I, I wasn't driving yet. My parents had to get me there, take me home, but it lasted, you know, it lasted a period of time. It was really my second job that I think triggered the interest in hospitality, food service. Um, I, I just got my driver's license and we had a Dairy Queen not too far from the house. And prior to that, my parents had owned a Briar's ice cream store. So I, oh, yeah. I had some knowledge of it, but I was a kid. I was a little kid. I didn't really understand what it meant to own your own business or, or such. So I got a job at the Dairy Queen and it was right around the corner from the house. It was a really cool hangout, local spot during the summer months. It was a, a Dairy Queen during the winter months. We sold Christmas trees and I'll never forget. I'm, I'm in my job for about a month and the, the owner, his name was Mike. I don't remember his last name, but I remember Mike comes up to me and he hands me the keys and he says, I'm going away for two weeks. You're now the manager. <laughs> How old are you? Like 16, 17? 17. I said, what, what constitutes a management position? He said, you open the doors, you lock the doors, you make sure the ice cream machine is clean, make sure people show up to work, and most important, make sure people have an amazing experience while they're eating our Dairy Queen ice cream. <laughs> so the joke was I was the king of the queen. And oh. I, did that. I did that for about a year during the summers. Uh, my, my parents were teachers during the year. They were, they worked at summer camps during the summer. So in the, in the summer, I went to summer camp and I worked in the kitchen and I was the head waiter. So what I didn't know then was I was creating the foundation of what I potentially would have ended up doing in the future of, of my life, which just to be clear, and we'll get to it. I never wanted to go into hotels or restaurants ever. That was not my ambition as a uh, a college kid, you know, it, it all happened by accident. We can talk about it a little bit, but yeah, I was going to say, so you're, you're doing this, you're the manager of the day. I'm thinking about my guy, Mike, like, Hey, 17 year old, take the keys to my, my store. He it trusted was, you, right? It, it was an interesting time. I mean, and you know, you have a lot of high school kids who are your peers. They're, they're, they're now, they're now working for you in theory. Cause you're the boss. And it wasn't a complex business, right? It's ice cream. Like, yes, yeah, it's, it's ice so cream. hard, right? Put the ice cream machine on, make sure it's clean, make sure the, the triple dipper with the, 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 the shells and the flavors are filled every day. But, you know, during the winter, it was selling Christmas trees. And I feel like the Jewish kid selling Christmas trees is ironic. I had to learn all the different types of Christmas trees that were out there. Who knew there were like five varieties of Christmas trees? And what Mike taught me was sort of the gift of gab you know he taught me how to a learn what you're selling mm -hmm. and b master it and then c be really passionate about it so when someone walks up and they only want the five foot tree you're you're selling them the six foot tree and and you know what we'll wrap it and put it on your car for no additional price so the dairy queen 
job was was not just selling ice cream, but it was also really the first sort of interaction I had in selling and really engaging with a customer. And at first it was a product that I knew nothing about. So I stayed behind the scenes and I chopped them. I wrapped them. I helped people put them on the car, but I wasn't selling them, but mm -hmm. I knew that where all the money was. So then I started to learn how to sell them and I really enjoyed it. And then before you know it, the winter was over, Dairy Queen reopened and we're back to selling ice cream. Um, but you know, summer camp business was good too. That was, uh, you know, food service business in the kitchen. And you know, you're not talking very sophisticated businesses. You're talking about yeah. businesses that are like mom and pops and they just need people to be willing and able and work hard. And I did, and I enjoyed it. And, uh, off to college I go. Yeah. So you go to Indiana university and, uh, but you're not studying hospitality. You're studying exercise yeah. science. Am I getting that right? Were That's you going right. to be a, a PE so I, teacher? What were you, what was the dream? So I was a exercise science kinesiology major. And I thought at the time I wanted to be a physical therapist or potentially become an orthopedic. I was always around sports. I was always around injuries. I was injured myself. I loved the recovery side. Mm -hmm. um, so it was interesting because you know, as a child, you go to college because that's the American dream, yes. right? That's the American dream. Mm -hmm. And you get there, you're 18 years old, and you're supposed to understand what it is you're supposed to do for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I think the process is a little backwards, but parents want you to be a doctor. They want you to be a lawyer. They want you to be a professional. I mean, you probably know how it feels being yeah. the son of a prominent attorney. One of my mm -hmm. favorites, by the way, Bob Turk, shout out to yeah. Bob, one of my favorite people in all of South Florida. Um, and I lived the dream of what I thought my parents wanted me to be. And during college, I bartended, I worked it in, in, in restaurants, uh, just to have extra money. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was falling deeper in love with restaurant service and hospitality. Uh, I loved creating ex memories and experiences. Um, I thought it was cool that I could, you know, go to a table and take an order and not have to write anything down and remember like 15, 16 orders without having to write it down. But then I had to run to the computer and put them in chronologically yeah. the way I remembered them. To me, that was, it was fun. Fast forward to my senior year. Uh, I applied to 14 physical therapy schools got rejected from 15. Yeah. Don't ask me. I don't even know the 15th <laughs> school that I didn't apply to that I got rejected from. I moved back home mm -hmm. after graduation and my mom and dad said, look, you know, you're going to have to figure it out. Like every other kid in America, you know, there's no free rise. You're going to have to figure it out. You could live at home as long as you're actively looking for a job. So right. I started actively looking for a job, but I did it uh, by moving into New York city. Uh, I had a friend who owned a sports cafe that was very successful and I started working there. So you just went to New York city. You had That's this it. server called job up, and called up my friend and said, Hey, can I, can I work as a bar back in the bar? And he's like, sure. So I bar backed, I hosted, I helped out in the kitchen. I bartended when the opportunity became available and over time I really started to enjoy the restaurant business. I went home after about six months, eight months of working. And I sat down with my parents and I said, look, I love the industry. I love the restaurant business. 
I think I want to own my own restaurant and bar one day and I have an opportunity. So can I take a loan? So I took a loan from my parents and I invested with my friend in the restaurant and bar. And, and it wasn't very public. We didn't run around telling everybody that I was an investor because I wanted to continue to learn and I didn't want people mm -hmm. to treat me differently because I own the place. So I bartended, I hosted, I worked in the kitchen. I did the same things that I did before I was an investing partner in, in the restaurant and sports bar. Fast forward a couple of years, New York City, rents are going up, everything's more expensive, and we couldn't sustain the business. So I had to make a decision, which was, do I continue trying to make something work that's not viable, or do I go try to get a job working for a bigger, a bigger company? Uh, and I wasn't sure. So I had an opportunity presented to me to work at the Washington Square Hotel but it wasn't for the hotel. It was for the owners of the hotel who owned a restaurant um, in the basement of the hotel. And it was called C3. Great little place on the corner of the West Village, right by NYU. Very busy, very active. I did that for a couple of years. And what I realized was after speaking to the general manager of that hotel, hotels were the way to go. It wasn't restaurants. It was restaurants and food and beverage in a hotel. And what made me think about it was my first time when there was a plumbing issue at the Washington Square Hotel. All I had to do was call the engineering department of the hotel and they right. come running with all the tools and equipment to fix the plumbing issue. And I was like, this never happened in a freestanding restaurant. I was the plumber, the electrician, mm -hmm. the air conditioned troubleshooter, whatever it was. So I really started to have this interest for uh, hotels, uh, and hence my very first opportunity when I got my first job with a major company, Lowe's Hotels, uh, back in 1999 at the Lowe's in New York City. Is that how it started? So you were at this small right. restaurant, and then you go to the Lowe's New York City. That's right. Wow. Took a big, took a big pay cut. Oh, you got uh, the benefits, Jeff. You got the benefits. The benefit <laughs> package, Steve. You know, you know the script because. I think I had to use the same script on you to get you to Probably. come into work in the hotel. Yeah, benefits were great. But here I was. I was young. I was 26 years old. I was presented an opportunity to get a foot in the door with what I thought was one of the most dynamic hotel operating companies in America. Yeah, there's Marriott, there's Hilton, there's Hyatt. Uh, but being in New York City, working in the West Village, right across from NYU, the most prominent name that always surfaced was John Tish. His name was on every building, plaque, and other. He was, was and still is iconic in the world of hospitality. And I had my first crack at working for John Tish and his family at the Lowe's in 1999. Amazing well, opportunity. What was that like? So it's very different. So you went from being a part owner in a restaurant, going to a small hotel, restaurant in a basement, to now the power breakfast at the Lowe's Regency, New York. What was that feeling like when you yeah, walked so in? Yeah, so I was at the Lowe's in New York on 51st and Lex. My, it was the sister hotel to the Regency, gotcha. but I had a lot of exposure to it. You go from being the big fish in a small pond to being the small fish in a big pond. And you know, food and beverage people. We're a little bit, what's the proper word since we're on a podcast? We, we've got a little bit of ego. We got a little bit of charisma. We think we're the cat's meow. 
And here I walk in and now I'm part of this very corporate structure. You know, you got to go to managers meetings, yep. P&L meetings, and there are more meetings in corporate America than meetings have meetings. But for the most part, they're, they're super uh, educational, right? So you, you take what's the best of those meetings and then you figure out what's going to be your, your purpose in meetings when you get to be the leader. But it was an awesome experience. And what was cool about it, it was predominantly a Monday through Friday hotel because it was a city hotel. Mm-hmm. So here I am hearing all the nightmare stories of people working in hotels and it's seven days a week and it's 20 hours a day. And I like won the Powerball. I had a Monday through a Friday job, rarely on the weekends because I was in New York City, but I loved it. I was the restaurant general manager. I oversaw room service restaurant, a little bit of banquets. And I reported to uh, a gentleman by the name of John Iacchetti, who to this day is a good friend and probably one of the best mentors I've had in my career. And, and you know, to all the listeners out there, find a mentor and find someone that you trust that's equally committed to your growth as you are your growth. Hard to find, but when you find it, hitch your wagon to that, to that, hitch your wagon to that horse and, and go for the ride. But John was awesome. John was a chef by skill set, became the chef and B, worked his way up years at the Lowe's. And uh, he took me under his wing and he taught me everything, but it wasn't easy. He's like, oh, you want to learn stewarding? I was like, yeah, John, I want to learn stewarding. He's like, perfect. Saturday morning, come in jeans. And I'm like, perfect. I show up in jeans, takes me down to the basement of the hotel, and we gut the storeroom to the brick walls, and we clean, and we put everything back. And I said to him, John, what was I supposed to learn? He says, well, now you know where your inventory is. Now you know what your inventory looks like. Now you probably know how much inventory you need, but most importantly, you did it and you did it alongside of the people that were working there with you. It wasn't like, hey, Mr. Stewart, go do the gutting of the room and clean it yourself and tell me what we need. Uh, And it was really my first lesson learned on collaboration. And I think you and I know each other a long time. You know, one of the things I pride myself on is knowing every single team member in an organization from Mm -hmm. the most senior to the least senior to the most tenured to the least tenured, the dish room to the housekeepers. I mean, those are the backbones of the organization. And that's what John taught me. And I owe a lot of my success to John Iacchetti because he was a grinder. Like he did it himself and he was in the trenches with the team. And I've always emulated and followed that as part of my leadership style. No, I can see that he, Mr. miyagi you, right? Like, come in your jeans, meet me here. You don't know what you're getting into. Oh, I did. But you know what he did? He, I never get, he gave me a walk. He gave me one of those little portable walks at the end of the day. He's like, you really worked hard. He's like, take this walk. I get home. I have this little, this little portable walk and I open up the box and there's no power cord. <laughs> so my gift was a, an electric Broken walk. portable walk with no power cord. I yeah. love it. So you, so you're with him and you're, you're learning, you're growing, you're at a great hotel company ran by, you know, family that owns those hotels. It's not anything other than that. It's really a family company. Yep. When do you start transitioning down to Miami beach? Good. It's a great question. So in my interview with John Iacchetti and, and the late Rebecca Sin, who was the general manager of the hotel, they both said to me, standard interview question, 
so Jeff, where do you see yourself in one year? I said, Lowe's Miami Beach. <laughs> so rewind, I was probably at the Lowe's New York for 10 months. Mm -hmm. We're hosting the human resources conference for the company. And I meet the most amazing woman at this, at this restaurant event. And her name is Susanna Fernandez. And Susanna was, I think at the time, the assistant director of human resources at the Lowe's in Miami. Yeah. Sabina was and number one there. I, I don't remember. I think I did something with like giving a hostess perfume because she, someone told me she like really liked this perfume. And I think Susanna witnessed it and we started striking conversation. Next thing you know, I'm on a plane and I'm interview and I'm interviewing. I wasn't just given the opportunity. I had to interview, interviewing for this opportunity in Miami. So now you go from this really city, cool hotel, Monday to Friday, I land on a plane, I get picked up, they're treating me like royalty, and I'm interviewing. I interviewed with more people on that trip than I think even worked in the whole hotel. And it was a drill. Like it was question after question after question after question. The place was paradise. All I could envision was moving to Florida, continuing to work for the Tisch family and this amazing organization, but getting it to do it in paradise. Like you play there, but I work there, mm -hmm. right? Like waking up every day and working there, like what a better place to go to work, right? And so what position were you interviewing for? Was it director of food and beverage or were no, you coming in no, at what, no. what position? Slow, slow and steady wins the race in corporate America, Steve. You know, you yeah, got to do it, it sure. all. You got to learn it all. I interviewed for the uh, general manager of the three meal restaurant, Preston's. which was Preston's. And I was hired for the position. I was, I was grateful. I flew down on like my one year a wedding anniversary, believe it or not. I just got married and here I am. Wow. We, we uproot, but it was always in the plan. My wife, the most amazing woman in the world, friends from childhood, fell in love, got married, always talked about moving to Florida, getting a house, having three kids, getting some pets. You know, we've done it all minus the third kid. Super supportive of my dream, super supportive of my career, my path and, and my focus to my career, which you know, a lot of relationships aren't like that. You know, there, there needs to be more balance and there needs to be more of this and more me time and more lead time. At the end of the day, she was so supportive. You know, she said, look, we've always wanted to move. This is a great opportunity. Let's do it. She's like one condition. I don't have to go to work right away. So I was like, perfect. Yeah, no problem. You know, like I know, Steve, your first restaurant manager job at the Lowe's Miami Beach, you yeah. weren't bring you weren't bringing in big bucks, right? No, you were bringing in enough money to be comfortable. You were bringing in enough money to understand the value of the dollar to the value of the job. And soon, soon after we got there, my wife got a job working for uh, Prudential um, and and had a very successful career. But again, you know, having having someone in my corner that was supportive of the move really helped me focus on the move and the job, and less about the other things that come with those situations. So yeah, so I ran the restaurant and over time I took over the lounge and over time took over the coffee bar. And before you knew it, I had more responsibility than what my title said. So I walked into my boss's office and I, 
I think I asked for a new title and, and hence this title, food and beverage area manager. You was, created the area manager was, title. Was your arrive <laughs> at the Lowe's Miami beach. Yeah. So, so you walk into your boss's office, food and beverage director and say, Hey man, what's going on here? I need some help. Yeah. Is that kind of how it went? I asked for more money. I asked for more responsibility. I asked for a bigger title. And, and in that same conversation, I said, I want to do it all with the goal to eventually be a food and beverage director. And whether that's at this hotel or another one of our hotels or out of this hotel company, because the opportunity is not available here. You know, you always have to be careful when you have that conversation with your boss, because you have to, you have to know your boss. Because if your boss is a career food and beverage director and doesn't want anything more, then that conversation gets a little tricky. Yeah. Uh, but I knew my boss at the time. I knew that he wanted he wanted a lot more. So I knew that the pathway would be eventually open because I knew his boss wanted more. And if his boss didn't want it more, his boss wanted less. Maybe retirement. Maybe moving moving on. So I, I saw I saw an opportunity. I saw a pathway, and I I took advantage of it. Um, and I and I did that. And then I'll never forget, you know, I had to go learn banquets. So I went into work in the banquet department and I went from being the the number one of an area to the number two of an area. Um, and I never forget my first my first my first meeting with Jason Sliman, who was the banquet director. Yeah. Uh, and, and our paths have crossed many of times in our careers and to still talk to Jason. He's out. He's widely successful, probably one of the best banquet directors in the country. And I said to Jason, be careful how you manage me because there's a really good chance that in a short period of time, I'm going to be managing you. <laughs> and I'll never forget our meeting. Uh, and Jason's like, Jeff, don't worry. I'm going to teach you everything you need to know about banquets. You're going to be the AM banquet direct, the banquet manager. Your shift starts at 5 a.m. You know, it'll be over like 2, 2.30. You can stay as long as you want. And, and that's really how I cut my teeth in the world of banquets. So um, I learned banquets and stewarding by being in banquets. Um, so what would you tell somebody? Cause it's very different, right? Cause you see a lot of leaders who only come up through outlets when you got there and especially with Jason Sliman at, you know, hundred thousand square foot banquet facility. What was that like to you? Was it like, Oh, I really like this. Cause it's this way. Or was it something I didn't like? What was that like for you? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. You know, it's totally different than restaurants. It's much more calculated, right? So you can plan for everything's planning in banquets. Whereas mm -hmm. the restaurants, it's planning with reaction. Banquets is mostly planning. And if you plan well and then you execute, there's very little reaction, right? Obviously, you get the pop up this and the pop up that and the meeting planner yeah. wants this and somebody's I'm a vegetarian. vegetarian somebody's yeah. a <laughs> this or that, you know? But it's interesting. Like you just sort of you, you figure it out and you plan. And one of the things I learned from Jason was to listen more, listen more and really seek first to understand before I spoke, which was hard for me as a young, successful leader. I, I always wanted to be the one leading. So here I had to take a step back because, you know, Jason, right? Two of us in the same room. You're the third person out of the room. There's not a chance you're getting a word in. That's correct. Uh, I've been in those rooms. And I've learned, I've learned like over my career, less is more, talk less, surround yourself with much better people. Um, and that's really what I've been doing for the last you know, 15 years is taking some of the advice that I learned early on in my career, which was really, really valuable and, and doing that. But working for Jason was invaluable. And then I got asked by the general manager of the hotel, Charlie Hines, to go to guest services and help them fix processes. He knew I was very process oriented, 
you know, I planned, I had a process, I executed, I analyzed, rinse, wash, repeat, right? So I went to guest services and I oversaw the bell, the valet, and concierge and VIP services. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. And it was only supposed to be a short stint. And then 9-11 happened. And I got stuck there. At the time, I was like, oh, my God, I got stuck here. So I was in that position for a year. I remember the day when we were calling to get our hotel guests on buses, planes, trains back to their home towns after 9-11 in that position. So it was my first indoctrination into like crisis management, but it was invaluable. Like the front of the house experience, the, I learned housekeeping by virtue of running guest services. I learned front office by working in guest services. Mm -hmm. so here I am now thinking I have all this knowledge. What am I going to do with it? I want to be a hotel general manager one day. I haven't even been appointed the director of the <laughs> job yet. But you want it. I wanted it. And ultimately, that was the next step at the Lowe's director of food and beverage, mm -hmm. uh, you know, overseeing a, a, a very uh, robust platform, 400 employees. Uh, and I had the privilege of working with some awesome, young, talented, willing and able leaders that I wanted to I wanted them to be just like me, hungry and ambitious and you know, put the gloves on and get into it every day and go grind. And I, I had the ability to partner with, I'm going to throw a name out, probably one of the best powerhouse couples in hospitality, Mary Rogers and John Rogers. Yeah. And I had the privilege of working with both, but I'll never forget John was a front desk manager and mm -hmm. my office was right behind the front desk. And, and, I used to walk past the front desk, like nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. And how many times can you say hi when you walk past the same people? I know in hotels, it's, you know, hi, hi, hi. Everything's hi, hi, hi. But, you know, it's a hustle. So John used to then walk by my office because you had to go out past my office, if you remember, to go mm -hmm. to play cafeteria at the back of the house. And he used to walk by and ignore me. <laughs> power, power move. Power move, right? So one day I... He walked by me and I said, hey, Mr. Rogers. He turned back. He came in my office. I said, sit down for a minute. He, had, he and I had never really talked other than, you know, hi and bye and, you know, very separate operations, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, you know, you always walk by my office and you never say hi. He's like, well, you always walk by my front desk and you never say hi. So I said, perfect. What are your thoughts about being a food and beverage area manager and coming to work in food and beverage? And he looked at me and he's like, you want me to come to food and beverage? And I said, yeah, he goes, but I don't, I've never worked in food and beverage. I said, I know, but I love the way you work. I watched the way you've worked. I said, I may not say hi to you every time I walk by, but I'm observant and I recognize the talent and the, the drive and the focus. You talk about a guy or a girl with processes. That's the most process oriented guy I've ever worked with in my career. So he came to work in food and beverage. And I got to work with guys like Richard Torres and Luis Castro. And then there was this young 2006, I think it was, Steve Turk that walked <laughs> into the building. Um, and, and I convinced, I know, I remember, I had to convince you. And I remember you weren't sold on it. You weren't convinced. It took a lot of convincing to get you to come to the, the dark side of food and beverage. And yeah. 
for I don't remember what the, I don't remember what the driving decision I, was. I do. And so for listeners, I want to set the scene for you. So at this table, I'm now coming to I just graduated from Florida State University. I got my hospitality degree. I had done summers at the Lowe's as a cabana boy. But you know, Jeff was big time back then. So you don't I don't interrupt him as he's walking the floor. I'm just a cabana guy. But I remember him. So I get out of school. Susanna Fernandez, who you mentioned, is like, come on down, come meet the team. And I'm sitting in Preston's, which is the, the restaurant. And it's Alex Tonarelli and you. And so at this table now, you have COO of Ocean Reef and COO of Williams Island at this table talking to young me. And Alex tells me all about, I'm going you know, to be your mentor. I'm going to get you to front desk and sales. And you're going to become a hotel manager. But you have to start at the front desk. And Jeff looks over and you're, we're both at this table and you go, do you want to get yelled at all day or do you want to see some hot chicks on the beach? <laughs> and I was just like, that's true. I think I'm going to go to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> that was really, and there was some other stuff you're talking to, you're dementing me up, but really that was kind of like, that's where it went. And yeah. that's how I started my career. But you were always great um, when I was there as a young guy coming up, you really helped mentor me and, and come through. So. Yeah, you I know, always that, thank you. That hotel was awesome. I mean, I'll, I tell you, one of one of the mentors I had early in my career, interestingly enough, was was Mark Earler. You know, he was although albeit he was a chef, you know, I was one of the first people at that hotel could that could really crack that shell with Mark Earler and create a partnership between food and beverage and, and culinary. And Mark's, I mean, he's a master chef, absolutely brilliant one of the most you know when they say your bark is bigger than your bite that's mark earler kindest yeah. heart kindest soul and he embraced he embraced me and he welcomed me and i think he saw in me uh what he saw in himself someone that was just a go-getter and somebody who was going to work hard and was very direct and yeah we had our headbutts we had our drag down knockdowns but i will tell you we also delivered some of the most spectacular collaborative events south beach wine and food festival we created things to parties together and menus together um and we had a great friendship doing it and people used to always say how do you how are the two of you getting along it's like you're literally one p split in half and i said well that's probably why we're getting along mm -hmm. you know we're so similar in so many ways but I took the time to understand what made Mark tick. And I think he understood what made me tick. And we inspired each other and we collaborated and we definitely didn't always agree. But I got to tell you, I, I always had a lot of respect for him. He motivated me. He pushed me. Uh, he made me uncomfortable at times, uh, but uncomfortable in a positive way. Like he took me out of my comfort zone and stretched me. Let's be honest. I may have run food and beverage for the last 15 years or 12 years or whatever that number is, but I was not the foodie food and beverage guy. I was the business minded, entrepreneurial spirited leader that happened to do it in food and beverage. Right. And that's really what set me up for the next opportunity that I had, which we'll talk about. I mean, it's, yeah, you know, that's what like, I, I want to say. Like at Lowe's, that's where I learned a lot from you is to be entrepreneurial because you don't really see it in hotels. Some hotels require it. You need it. And I think that's where you see the most successful leaders. They have that mindset. Like, I can create this. I can make this happen. I can fix this. 
you yeah. had that. I always you your team. I always respected Sabina and and Susanna's checklist and training checklist and all those yeah. formalities, but it was like structuredless structure. Like I like to play in the box, but push yeah. the boundaries, right? Get as gray as I could get specifically because I wasn't the boss, right? So I knew ultimately there was somebody above me that if the, if the, if the, uh, if things were going to go sideways, there was going to be a little bit of a trickle down before it got to me. Um, and then I, yeah, so that's what I'm curious about experience. Yeah. So here's the experience. So I worked the day shift. I was, I was actually the director of food and beverage, but I was in the restaurant and I'll never forget. I don't remember which person it was, but somebody called out from the PM shift in Preston's. So I remember going to the back and asked the room service manager, Hey, I'll stay through like seven, seven thirty. After that, the restaurant quiets down. You'll keep an eye on it. Close the restaurant. Cool. Cool. Great. So I'm in the restaurant and in walks a couple. Clearly you could tell by their body language. They're with their two kids. They're, um, they're tired. They're frustrated. They've traveled. Uh, and you could just see it and you know what I'm talking about because yeah. you've seen it and you've yeah. probably been there as your own traveler. Yes. So in walks this couple, I look at them and I said, party for four. They're like, yeah, I'm like long day. Yeah. Travel came in from Vegas long day. I'm like, cool. I have an idea. Restaurant's not that busy. Would you put a little trust in me? They're like, and the guy looks at me and the woman looks at me and they're like, we don't even know you. Yeah. I said, perfect. I'm going to sit the two of you over here and I'm going to take your two kids who at the time were probably five and seven. And I'm going to put them at a table around the corner. I'm going to give them headphones, DVD players, and movies. You'll be able to see them. They won't be able to see you. You guys can have an enjoyable dinner. They're going to watch movies and have dinner. Do you want to try it? So sure enough, before I could even finish the offer, they're like, amazing. <laughs> I give them a menu for the movies. The kids pick the movie. We sit them down. The kids are watching movie. The, the couple's having a drink. They're enjoying the dinner. I say, hey, I'm leaving for the night. Hope you had it. Hope you enjoy the rest of your stay with us at the hotel. And maybe I'll see you around on property. That was it. Never, never knew the guest name. Never, never introduced myself beyond helping that situation. I get home. It's about 10 o'clock. I get a phone call from the morning manager that he's not feeling well. So I was like, okay, I'm the boss. I'm the director of food and beverage. You just worked a long day, allegedly. Mm -hmm. So I get on the phone. I try to get somebody to cover the morning shift and I, I couldn't find anybody. So what do I do? I go to work at 5 a.m. I help get the little coffee bar open up. And as I'm helping the team open up the coffee bar, I'll never forget. I think the barista's name was Patricia. She was a blonde uh, young lady. I was helping yep. her sitting at the coffee bar was the same guy from dinner the night before. And he looks at me. I look at him and I said, oh, you were at dinner last night. And he said, yeah. And I said, oh, nice to see you here this morning. He's like, what are you doing here so early this morning? And I explained, I said, oh, my name's Jeff Klein, I'm director of food and beverage. He said, oh, my name's Brian O'Shields. And sure enough, what I didn't know at the time was Brian was a senior vice president of food and beverage for Fountain Blue. And that was my first meeting and interaction with Brian, who fast forward 
I later interviewed with for the position of director of food and beverage at the Fountain Blue on their That's new crazy. Project. That's crazy. So, so, you, so let's let's put it in perspective because let's be honest, Steve, right? Timing is everything in life. Let's take the luck because it was luck, mm -hmm. but I seized the opportunity by being lucky. And that's, I, I tell people all the time, like put yourself in the best situation. So when opportunity presents, you can create success. Simple formula, right? Be prepared. When the opportunity presents, be ready. So I remember walking into my boss's office and I said, I think I'm going to interview for the Fountain Blue Director of Food and Beverage job. Who's your boss at the time? So it was Sean <laughs> Halver yep. and, and Charlie Hines. And actually, Charlie had already left. So it was just Sean. Sean was the hotel. Sean was the, I don't remember if Sean was the hotel manager, the general manager at the time. I think he was actually on his way to becoming the general manager because I remembered there was an opportunity potentially to become a hotel manager. So, yes. So, and, and Alex Tonarelli, who was in director of sales at the time, moved to the front office. And I think Alex was thinking general manager. So now you've got Jeff Klein and Alex thinking about hotel manager, general manager. It's like running for like the, the, the mayoral position, you know? I remember it as a young manager watching and we were all talking about oh, what's going to happen here. And at, simultaneous to thinking about that position as hotel manager, I really wanted to stay in food and beverage and the opportunity was put in front of me and I went for it. And I don't think there was anybody that thought I was going to get that job, to be honest with you. I mean, we all did. Yeah, you may mm -hmm. have. I think yeah. there were as many. We were young. We didn't know there, it was there were as many. Top level. I'm going to say this as, as nicely as I could see. There's as many haters out there as there were supporters, but I'm an advocate and firm believer. Like uh, Kobe Bryant once said, they don't hate the good ones. They hate the great ones. Right. So I always thrived when people were voting against me. Yeah. Um, I went through the process. It was a long, long process. And it was risky, right? Because now my boss knows that there's an interest for me to leave. So I said to myself and my wife, if I get the job, it's going to be awesome. If I don't get the job, I have no idea what my future looks like in my current role. Um, but fortunately, I, I got the opportunity and I, I was able to walk back into Sean's office and sit down with him. He was super supportive and you know, gave me a lot of insight about running a big operation, you know, being the, being the number one. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was a big jump. You're talking about going from a $40, million, a $40 million business with 400 employees to a $160 million business with 1400 employees. And you got to build it all from the bottom. Like you had to build it all. There was no playbook. Yeah. So for like, for listeners, Fontainebleau had fallen on hard times. It was you know, bought out and then it was being renovated. So 2008, no one really knew what it was going to be, but you had heard all the stories of how much money was being poured into this place. And there was really no other like hotel like it anywhere. Nothing so, like it. One of the biggest food and beverage operations in the country outside of a gaming facility. Um, and here I had the, the, like the best experience. I mean, I got to work for Jeff Sofer and the family and, and Jeff's a visionary. You know, you talk about, against all odds, like people didn't think the place would open, think didn't, people didn't think the place would be successful and, you know, investing a billion dollars into an asset in Miami beach. I mean, 
absolutely yeah. incredible. Um, but you know, that's but what was it like? What was it like when you oh. first got there and you're like, wow, look at this place. Oh, it's dirt. It's the bones. It was and, dirt. Literally. Yeah. It was, it was raw concrete and dirt. Was it always excitement or you're like, oh man, what did I do? There were definitely days where your emotional levels got to a point where you started questioning your own decisions. Um, and, and for those of you that are listening, if you've ever done a hotel opening, multiply it by like 10 because this was a big hotel. And um, there were people from all over the world working in this hotel. So not only are we trying to develop a culture, but we're developing a, developing a culture and an environment with hundreds of different cultures, right? So we had to, we had to really dig deep and, you know, there were days where you got stretched to the limits. Um, there were days where you got to a breaking point. Um, but we were surrounded by some of the best talent in the business and Brian as the, the senior VP <laughs> of F and B was a great advocate for me. He was, he's done this before. He did it at Bellagio. He did it in Las Vegas. So Brian was really super helpful in my transition into this big arena, uh, work with great chef, Sean, uh, Sean O'Connell, who had international experience, <laughs> Vegas experience. And our approach to that hotel was we're not looking local. We're looking global and we're looking for the best people, the best fit to build the best team. And it was really my first experience in building a team on my own. Cause when I got to Lowe's <laughs> at Miami, I inherited a lot of people because I worked my way through the ranks. And then I, I went from peer to boss right. here. I got to create my own team and learn the personalities, the idiosyncrasies of what makes a team work, you know, the relationships at work, the, you know, all the different things that you have to do. Now I, I was the, I was in theory, the coach of food and beverage. I had to go do it. It was amazing. I mean, I and you built a, you built a good team, and yeah. you would say a lot of people left to go with you. I wouldn't say you recruited anyone, but they left yeah. to go with you. Well, and I remember for, thinking, full, like, full wow, disclosure, look at this. full yes. disclosure, full disclosure, <laughs> Mister Turk. All right, we'll get it. Here's the full disclosure. Yes, when I went to to Fountain Blue, um, the pool operation was not part of the food and beverage platform. So when you talk about the people who left to come to Fountain Blue, the John Rogers, the Lewis Cashos, the Richard Torres, they all went to work for the pool. They did not work in food and beverage. It was not until May of 2008 when I sat down with one of my, one of my leaders and a mentor in my career and I said, I'm not sure that the biggest restaurant at this hotel shouldn't be run by food and beverage. Right. And it wasn't until May of 2008 that food and beverage took over the pool and beach operations. So while they left to go work for a great hotel, they didn't go necessarily leave to work with me, but all Who do they report to who are they reporting? They to? report to the rooms director at that time. Really? It was, room, it was a rooms operation position, the pool and beach. Yeah. That's crazy. Cause that's, that seemed to be the Vegas model. Um, but it was awesome. Uh, you know, the, it was like building a team and getting some super talent around you. And I mean, it was 11 restaurants and bars and nightclubs and beaches and, you know, night, forget nightlife. That's a whole, that's a whole nother podcast. Cause that could take up a couple yes. hours. Interesting business. I learned it from the ground up 
I mean, I got to learn it from the best. I mean, I, how, I was, just, we don't have to go into too many details, but how, cause that was one of my questions I have for you is club live one of the most well-known in the whole world, right? You got Dave Grutman. Was he there running it from day one? And like, you kind of had some kind of thing. was like, they, Hey, this is our yeah, place. No, they weren't, spot. they weren't the original operator hired. Um, and you know, but they, they did come in and, and Dave and the MMG team at the time were the operators. Um, but you know, we had a re we had a relationship, you know, Jeff Sofer, owned the club, Dave and his team, you know, managed it, created it. I mean, I used to tell Dave, Dave and I used to joke around. I'm like, Dave, my daytimes create your nighttimes, <laughs> right? So we were responsible fiduciarily. We looked at the P&Ls. We worked together mm -hmm. to make it a profitable business. But um, you talk about someone who is incredibly talented in a world of hospitality and nightlife. I mean, Dave Grutman is... He's he's one of the best in the business when it comes to that. I mean, what he's created not only for live and story, but the rest of his Groot Hospitality uh, Empire is truly spectacular. And you know, Dave's a friend, and I bounce a lot of things off Dave, and he doesn't always bounce a lot off me. But uh, when we do chat, it's always an awesome conversation, and and we have a lot of respect for each other. And you know, I love seeing him flourish and his company doing so well. And so many people that worked at Fountain Blue you know, work for mm -hmm. that company. So it, it was awesome to see, you know, people that were really into that nightlife concept, you know, be able to flourish right outside of the hotel. So it was really awesome. And we will be right back. I have personally used Treyway at the Eden Rock Hotel and Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel. Treyway has finally solved the age-old problem of dirty room service trays cluttering the hotel hallways. It is affordable and easy to use. Guests and staff love it. They will even send you a free product kit so you can try it before you buy it. Use promo code TURK10 for a 10% discount on all Treyway products and services. And now, back to the show. Well, back to you. So you're growing in Fontainebleau. You're making a name for yourself because you're there seven years, right? You're growing. That's a long time to be somewhere, especially in that kind of role at that yep. level of volume. Yeah. How, how do you think you grew during that time there? Was it something that... It was kind of became a rhythm and you were looking for more or were you learning a lot each year as it was going? Yeah, I was learning. Um, you know, at the time I, I first I reported to David Fader, may he rest in peace, was a mentor of mine. Awesome. And, yeah. and we're going to come back to that because there's a there's a tie in to the David yeah. Fader. Um, and then John Rolfs was there. He was like one of the best hoteliers. Ritz Carlton guy learned a tremendous amount from John Rolfs. And then John left and Phil Goldfarb came in and Phil Goldfarb became the president of the organization and Phil had worked with the Sofer family for years. So I learned a lot from Phil, mentor, friend. I mean, taught me the, the inner runnings of a family business, taught me the, the community relationship side of the business. You know, when you're, when you're in it every day, you forget there's a whole world around you. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's when I sat on the executive board of the Miami beach chamber of commerce. And I started doing a lot of the things we, we treated it when I became a vice president, very, much like like president, vice president, right? Like I did a lot of vice president things. I ran a lot of the day-to-day -day operations. I worked side by side with Mary, who not only is one of my dear friends, but she was like a sister. I mean, we were in the grind, the army together. Like we, we, we were in the trenches, literally day in and day out together, um, creating and, and building a really awesome platform. 
Yeah, for uh, listeners, that's Mary Rogers. Go back and listen to her episode because she gives some yeah, great, great amazing. Great I, I think she got her hospitality degree from there's a there's a jail in uh, <laughs> Ireland. We always joke about uh, that I that I visited when I was there for their wedding. Now Mary Mary's one of the best, one of the most brilliant hoteliers in the business, and it's amazing. But so we learned a lot because we had to do it all. We had brought a training liaison in by the name of Todd Lapidus. Todd was a consultant who came in and helped do a lot of the training in, in the, the hotel and food and beverage. Just a quick about Todd. He was the consultant to the largest consulting firm in the, in the world. I think he was a consultant to Anderson Consulting. Like, wow, that's how, that's how amazing this man was. He and I became friends. He became a life coach to me, a business coach to me. I literally speak to Todd often. We talk about my career moves. Because you can't always talk about your career moves with the people who want you to move mm-hmm. because you don't know, you don't always know. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to find comfort and confidence in people that you've built relationships with. So Todd's always been a, a mentor and a friend and a guide for me. Um, and he makes me think outside the box, makes me think differently. He's often had me read books, um, which he knows I hate to do, but he knows that it will benefit me. And then it was a dinner. I mean, so we're talking. I mean, we could talk about Fountain Blue for five podcasts, right? But Mm -hmm. it was a dinner. And I remember the dinner like it was yesterday. It was Phil Goldfarb, three or four other senior president level people. Jeff Sofer were downstairs. We're in the steakhouse. For the last three months prior to that dinner, I had been sitting on an asset advisory committee at Turnberry. So I would go in every month and do a P&L review and do an asset review and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then they asked me to help with uh, Corsair, which was a new restaurant and, and fast forward to this dinner, I'm sitting there and Jeff Sofer looks straight across the table and he says, Klein, can you run that hotel? And the old Jeff Klein, the, the, the Jeff Klein that you knew at Lowe's would have immediately responded back and said, of course I could run that hotel. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? What, what kind of silly question is that? Yeah. But I knew the audience. I knew the situation. I took a deep breath. I thought hard before I responded. And I looked at Jeff and I said, how would you evaluate my performance here at Fountain Blue? Wow. And that was a Tuesday night. I had my first exec meeting that Friday. So it was fast. And obviously, you know, Jeff had a lot of confidence in me and Phil had a lot of confidence in me. And a couple of years prior, Phil had been sharing a lot of knowledge of what it's like to be a number one. Cause it's like, everybody wants to be the starting quarterback until they're the starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted it. I really wanted it. I don't know if I really wanted it at Turnberry at the time, but I wanted to be a number one. And I was also mindful to know that I wasn't going to be the number one at Fountain Blue as my first number one job. Like that's, that's a big stretch. So here I am, I'm off to a luxury resort, 400 rooms, two golf courses. I know nothing about golf, you know, I mean, I know the game, I watch it. I don't play it. I actually, mm-hmm. I, I don't play a lot of golf and I inherited a team and I had to make really firm decisions. I had to observe for a few months. I had to understand who the the players were and where we were going. Cause I knew in my, I knew in my mind and through conversations with Jeff that he wanted to expand the asset. So 
not only am I analyzing the team in its current form, but I'm thinking about what this team needs to look like in a massive form, 700 room hotel. And at the time there was no water park, but it was a big hotel. So it was my first indoctrination to being a number one. I mean, I was running the asset. I, I went from the same revenue in food and beverage, to the same revenue in a hotel. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Same I went down in few employees, but I had, I had 10 or 11 direct reports that were senior level executives. Right. This is the first time, like really like revenue management, sales and marketing reporting to you. Right. And does life change for you? Because I see that with a lot of GMs where they get to that role and they don't expect that's what it's going to be. And it's hard to stay out of your comfort area, which is food and beverage. Right. It did change. It did. You know, obviously you migrate to food and beverage when you, when, you know, you're, you're comfortable. So you're migrating to the food and beverage, but it was a time in my career where I became a student. And I became a student to the discipline and I had to go learn revenue management and learn more about sales, learn more about marketing, mm-hmm. uh, learn more about engineering. I mean, I mean, as a, as a kid growing up, yeah, I mean, I had the basic knowledge, right? Cause I worked in a restaurant and anytime something broke, you had to fix it, but you're talking about chiller plants and technical things. So I had to become a student to the, to the team in which I led. And it was probably the most difficult one year of my career because it was the first time in my career that I was out of my comfort zone. And everyone's testing you. Everybody's testing me, but I have the support from the owner. I have the support from the, from the senior level executives of the company to plan and, and then execute based on their vision. So I had a lot of support. But I had to truly understand whether the current team was the right team for the future. Over time, natural attrition, other attrition, I was able to bring in and start formulating a team. And now we're getting ready to go through this massive transition and things come full circle. And we're doing, you know, like you go to a food show or an equipment show. I decided to bring, just like I did at Fountain Blue, the equipment show to the resort because I wanted <laughs> Smart. To get all the equipment and I wanted nobody around. So I made this deal. Hey, everybody come in, give you one day where it's just my team. And then the second and third day, you can invite anybody you want from the market to come to the show. So I'm standing on the patio and um, I'm wearing slacks and a golf shirt and walking down the aisle is John Rogers. So he's at the East Hotel at the time. I think mm-hmm. he had left Ina went to East. Yep. I see John. I hadn't seen him in a while. I gave him a big hug. And as he's walking away, I, I drag him back and I say to him really quietly, you want to be a hotel manager? And he looks at me and I said, let's talk. So he goes and he does his thing. And sure enough, John and I reunite and it's like putting the band back together, you know, but mm-hmm. there's a point in your career where you, you go to what you know and you go to what you trust. And there's also a point in your career where you go for things that are new and you look for the best player, you know, for that, that pie, like you want the pie to be perfect. You can't always go back to the same people. You have to figure out who the best player for that moment would be, but knowing what we were about to embark on, you know, having John come join the team was spectacular. And he and I really worked side by side. And, you know, it was more of a partnership agreement more than it was a boss agreement, you know, and 
we put together a world-class team and went from a 400 room hotel to a 700 room hotel. We went from 500 employees to a thousand employees. And we brought in this amazing brand called the JW and had to do all these corporate things, which I hadn't done since I worked at Lowe's. <laughs> and even at Lowe's, you know, it's corporate, but every hotel is independent and operates mm -hmm. autonomously. And, you know, it was an awesome, it was an awesome full circle to my career. And it was great learning. I mean, it was like doing a whole opening. The only difference was we operated a 400 room hotel while we added 300 rooms. That's we crazy. operated a pool while we built a water park. We operated golf while we built a conference center. We were operating through this entire thing. And, and, and then Jeff had this vision of creating a water park. And, you know, I've learned in my career, he's a visionary. If he believes it's going to happen, if, if he builds it, they will come. He's right thing is widely successful. So now I'm learning how to build a water park and I'm going to a water park show in Orlando and I'm learning about flow rider and slides and my whole world has changed. And it's amazing. You know, it's like, like being a student learning. I mean, what do I know about water parks? Well, I know a lot more today than I did yeah. before we built it. And it's packed so, still. <laughs> it's all yeah, what an interesting, there. yeah, pretty interesting. Uh, and I'm going to ask you, cause we had chef Gordon on the podcast too. And he was at, were you working with him at Lowe's or did you already leave? Yeah. Well, chef Gordon, interestingly enough, I hired at Lowe's and right about his 30th day in the saddle. I told him, I just got an opportunity to leave, to go to uh fountain blue. So we only worked together for about 90 days. And then when I was at Turnberry, he and I, you know, we've always, we always stayed in touch. We always mm -hmm. spent time on the phone. We talked, we, you know, chef's one of those guys, you know, that he's creative, he's innovative, he's fun to be around. So I would always call for ideas. And then when I got to Turnberry and realized what the direction was, I called him up and I said, Hey, don't have an opportunity today, but just want to know that when the time comes, your hat's going to be thrown in the ring for the exec chef director's culinary at this resort. Here's what we're going to do. So forth, so on. And he's like, absolutely. And, you know, I don't remember chronologically, but he had, he had run PGA national. So he had club golf, and golf yeah. experience. He was at the Phoenician in Arizona or the Fairmont in Arizona. So big resort experience, Lowe's experience, but most importantly, we had a trust for each other. So you go back to the people you trust, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of great chefs in the world and a lot of great leaders in the world, but you know, what separates successful teams is trust. So the more you can build trust and camaraderie on a team, the more successful you are. I think that's great advice for anyone listening. So you built this awesome team. You're doing fantastic things there, but now you make a, another team. You're there seven years, right? So it's kind of like your yeah. thing. You're at seven years at Lowe's, seven years at Fontainebleau. Yeah, which is symbolic. Ago. Which is symbolic in the in the world of Judaism. Seven, mm -hmm. seven, seven is pretty symbolic. You can research that, but I don't think that was intentional. I think it was accidental. But then people would say it's not accidental. It's actually meant to be destined. Right. Yeah. Right. But um. So now I circle back to a David, a David Fader mentoring moment, as you know, because you work for David. Mm -hmm. um, David was unique. David was inspiring. David was one of a kind. And I always called David for advice on life and things. David would always call me for advice on operations. When mm -hmm. I interviewed with David at Fountain Blue, he, he took an entire yellow notepad soup to nuts and took notes on the whole notepad before he even hired me 
And as I'm walking out of the office for the, from the interview, I turned back and I looked at him and I said, you know, the playbook only works with the quarterback. <laughs> and, and he chuckled and ultimately I got hired at Fountain Blue. But where I was mm-hmm. going with David is about, about 90 days before David's passing, he and I had a chance to catch up. And, and he said to me, Klein, he always calls me Klein. It was never Jeff. It was always Klein. He said, you're sharp. You're young. You remind me so much of myself. He said, do yourself a favor, explore private club living and private clubs. And I said, you know, great idea, David. Never know. Great. And I asked him for some references on what he was referring to. He shared some clubs in Boca because, you know, he was a Boca guy. Yes. So he shared some clubs in Boca. And that was the end of the conversation. David passed and life goes on. Back in like October, November, prior to me departing Turnberry, the president of Williams Island, who's also a city commissioner, who's also a member at Turnberry, was having dinner at Bourbon. And, you know, he and I were by no, we weren't friends. We were friendly. He was a customer. He was a member. So we were engaging at times. And he called me over to the table at Bourbon and he said, hey, you know, I'm about to meet with someone and and I totally forgot to call you ahead of time. But uh, meeting with a gentleman that I'm interviewing for food and beverage, what are your thoughts? So I gave him my thoughts. We had a good conversation. And at the end of the conversation, he said, and by the way, there's an opportunity possibly I'm looking for a COO to run Williams Island. I looked him dead in the face and I said, awesome. Let me put some feelers out there. I've got a lot of people connected on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, not my wheelhouse. I, I never even thought about it in the context of what David Fader had referenced 90 days prior to the, 90 days prior to his passing. So I said, great. No, what? No problem, Bob. Let me think about it. So next couple of days, it like a light bulb went off and, and keep in mind 15 years with the same company, seven years at both hotels, mm-hmm. pandemic, right? I was tired. You know, there was mental fatigue. There was physical fatigue. It was a long couple of years. And for those out there that are in the business, you know, you, it, yeah. it's one of those, it's one of those, one of those acronyms. If you know, you know, Right. That, that's why I'm talking to you now on a podcast. <laughs> and, and exactly. And, you know, I, I looked at it like, well, if I left the hotel business, is that perceived as quitting, like giving up on a career? And I, this was not an easy decision. And fast forward into like January or so, I called up Bob and the gentleman from Williams Island. And I said, I think I found somebody for you to interview for the COO job. And he's like, who? And I said, me. He's like, you? It's like, you're going to leave the JW and, and this awesome job? And I said, look, it has been the most incredible experience of my life. I am absolutely, you know, I just felt so passionate about the family and, and what I've created and who I worked with and everything. I said, but, you know, there's a time in your life where, you know, balance becomes important. And, you know, I have two kids, 19 and and 15, soon to be 20 and 16 competitive athletes. They're on the road. They play a lot of soccer. One's at University of Miami, one's in high school and on our way to doing great things. And I had a wife who had been so supportive of my entire career that I took for granted that maybe I wasn't as engaged and involved as I could have been. Not that I wasn't 
a great husband and a great father, but I didn't realize potentially what I was missing because they were so accepting to my career. So a lot of thought was going in my mind. I've heard all these amazing stories about running clubs and condos and communities and the stress levels are so much better and it's different, but it's the same. The only difference is the people don't change, right? In a hotel, they check in, they check out, they check in, they check out. In a community, they arrive and they never depart. So here, this opportunity presents itself, everything works out and uh, I start this new opportunity in late March. Um, I'm actually almost here six months in a couple of weeks. And it's everything that I've, everything that David Fader said it would be. So what's uh, the biggest difference, right? Because for me, I've only worked in hotels and I've had a membership club at, at, at Doral, but not, it's also with a hotel. That's so right. what, give me the, the, six, the 30 second, six second download on where you're at today. You got residents that have been here 30 plus years. They've seen... X number of COOs, mm -hmm. they've seen the same butternut squash soup on the menu for 30 years. Like, Jeff, it's too salty today. Today it's this, tomorrow it's that. And at the end of the day, they're owners and they're part of the success of the community, right? So they bought in, they embraced it, they believed it, they helped create it, they pass it down to family, things get sold, and then the community keeps evolving. And very similar to like when I got to Turnberry, I arrived at Williams Island to find a diamond and it was a diamond that was, had lost its luster. So it wasn't like I had to go find a diamond. I had to just figure, I have to figure out how to polish it. And the only difference between this and a hotel is like I said, you know, here you, you can evolve and you can take slow strategic steps to create successes. Whereas a hotel, we're often rushing to create something because the moment is now. And if you miss it, you don't get a chance to do it for that group of guests. You got to wait till the next group of guests come in. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, there are pros and cons, right? They're owners. They want what they want. They know what they want. Um, they fear change because they're so used to what's been going on. But I've learned a long time in my career that creating some disruption in a very professional strategic manner is positive. And, I listen, Steve, you wouldn't recognize me because I listen so much more now than ever before, because I have to understand what they want. I have to understand what they're interested in before I can go do, because you mm -hmm. can put all these efforts together, but if you don't understand what they're asking for and you deliver and you miss the mark, not only have you wasted time, but you've lost, they're starting to lose confidence that they, they're going to count on you to make the place better. Right? So. Um, it's a lot of schmoozing. It's a lot of getting to know people and building relationships, but I love it. And uh, I spend a lot more time with my family. Uh, I travel with the kids for soccer. I spend more time with my wife. I am investing more time in my own health, you know, playing some tennis and, you know, sp spinning on the Peloton more frequently. And it's all stuff that you take for granted. And it's not because anybody forced you in your previous career to do things differently. It's just that you got to be present. In businesses that are 24-7, you got to be present and you've got to be contributing at every turn. And, you know, not that you're not present in your in my new role, but it's just different. You know, the restaurant closes, the spa closes, people go home, they go to sleep at night. Hotel never closes. That's right. There's no locks on those doors. No locks. Yeah, it's interesting how hotels have no locks. 
It's amazing. Yeah, when people hear that for the first time, they're like, what do you mean? It's like, yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's no rocks. Open. Well, what happens if you want to keep people out? It's you like, chain the doors. You chain the doors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Jeff, you shared a lot of info with us, and I'm so proud to see how you've grown because you got me started in this, and I've always been grateful to you for that. But I want to ask you one more question. So if you had young Jeff, we'll go to young Jeff at Dairy Queen, and he was on your team at Williams Island starting with you today. What advice would you give him starting in hospitality today? Yeah. Oof. It's probably the reason why I don't speak to like kids in high school about hospitality. Cause I have a couple different schools of thought about hospitality colleges and things like that. But here's what I, I here's what I would recommend. I, I wouldn't, I would tell that person to close their eyes and envision two ladders standing side by side. Ladder on the left has rungs every two feet and the ladder on the right has rungs steps every 12 feet. And I would encourage you to take the ladder on the left to the, to, to your peak, because I think when you're young, you're ambitious, you want the money, you want the position, you want the title and your leap to these big jumps in your career, in my opinion, often leads you to a path where when there's time for change, it's typically downward or if you aren't as successful as you thought you would be, it's a much more difficult rebound. But if you just take a slow and steady approach and you're learning as you go and you're making, you know, sizable moves, but they're achievable and they're sustainable and you've got a rhythm to it, I think you'll find yourself, you know, reaching the peak and climbing to the top at a faster pace, but, but building the knowledge along the way. Like knowledge is so important in our business experience is important. So I would tell you, get as much experience as you can go into every position with open eyes, you know, work with great people, uh, inspire them as much as they inspire you because there's value in that. And uh, it's a different world today, right? And the resources that our youth have today, so different than we had when we were youth. So I look at the youth and like, they have to teach me a lot in order to be uh, relevant in the world of business today. So to me, it's partnership and it's collaboration. Um, but building trusting relationships is probably the best advice that I could uh, lend to a young Jeff Klein. Although I hope there's not another Jeff Klein out there because I don't know if the world can handle <laughs> another one of me. I've been told so many times, but you know what? It's uh, It's been a fun ride in hospitality and I've worked with like, I, I've, I mean, I've named a bunch of them. I've worked with so many talented people that I've learned so much from and have so much respect for. And like, look at you, like you're sitting here on a podcast and creating coffee companies and going around and helping people do all the things that they want to do, but they don't know how to do it themselves. And you found a niche and you know, you smart guy, like go out there and just create positive experiences and memorable ones. And, and, build relationships along the way. Well, I appreciate you being here with me today, Jeff. It means the world to me. And uh, I had to make sure I got some practice in before I got you on the show. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to go back <laughs> and count how many people you had on before me. But, uh, you know, they always say sometimes it's better to be the uh, early bird and sometimes it's better to be the second mouse. Yeah, I think that uh, you did great today. I appreciate it. And thank you very much. Thanks, Steve, and keep doing great things in the world of hospitality, man. We need more people like you, too, so keep doing it.
This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.